You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. What is going on, guys? Hope that you are doing well this week. We are in part six of our series entitled The Church. We're walking through the book of Acts. Last week, we talked about the conversion of the Apostle Paul. We asked the question, are we committed to our fear or are we committed to our father? Because in this conversion story of the Apostle Paul, there's this man named Ananias who is afraid of Saul, who would then become the Apostle Paul because he's throwing Christians in prison. He's having Christians killed and, and he's fearful. And Jesus says, Ananias, I need you to go and I need you to lay hands on this man and restore his sight. And Ananias is afraid, but he is committed to his father. He's committed to God more than he is committed to his fear. If you want to check out the entire message, go ahead and pause this podcast and head back to episode number five. This week, we are going to be talking about the same apostle Paul, uh, along with his fellow disciple Silas, and this interaction that they have in Acts chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 16 of chapter 16. This is this. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. First of all, the fact that it says that Paul was annoyed reminds us that Paul, while having a dramatic conversion, was still very much human. And if I'm being completely honest, that brings me a lot of joy. To know that the Apostle Paul was human, that the Apostle Paul had annoyances, that he had frustrations, and that he acted out of those. Now, while the result ends up being holy... It's amazing uh, to see the humanity of the disciples because I think so often we can put them in like a picture Bible and we can say, oh, back then there were these like big spiritual giants, but we don't have those anymore. But that is not true, that he was fully human, just like you and I. And we have the capability of doing the things that Jesus had Paul do. Second, while what possessed this woman was saying truth, the spirit was causing her to say something true. It wasn't causing her to say something effective. Screaming and yelling while they were walking around town was not the disciples' M.O. If you if you go to church here on the weekend at Faith Chapel, you probably heard Nate talk about this. He actually talked about it this weekend, and, I, and I'm going to uh, unashamedly steal it. The first point this weekend, this weekend, this week, maybe it's the weekend when you're listening to this. Who knows? The first point this week is message versus methodology. Message versus methodology. As we are interacting with people in our lives, it is key that we understand the importance of methodology. Jesus, Jesus crucified, Jesus risen, the gospel, the message never changes. That is always the same. Jesus is the son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But the message to us and the people, while the message to us will always be the same, the methodology has to change. We have to be adaptable. How we approach people with the message of Jesus is vitally important. And personally, I don't think screaming at people from the corner street corner or or walking behind the disciples is going to be the most effective way. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you've interacted with somebody who is preaching from a street corner with a megaphone. And you're like, that's how, that's how I found Jesus. But this is, this is what I love about a, a community of believers is that we all have a shared love of Jesus 
but we all got there different ways. All of our stories are different. We, we probably had different interactions with Jesus. We probably had different interactions with the people around us. Some of us probably had similar interactions with similar people, but the conversations had were actually completely uniquely different. So that's a beautiful thing that we get to understand is that there is a, a beautiful uniqueness in the message or in the community of Jesus. And and that brings us to this idea of methodology. That means that not there's not a one size fits all approach to telling people about Jesus. You see, you know all the people in your life better than anyone else. And that's why Jesus has you in those people's lives. People in your life know you better than anyone and that's why Jesus has them in your life. You see, as we communicate to, get to each other, as we, as we get to communicate the message of Jesus to each other, we get to understand who the people around us are and how they're going to accept that message. It's not about being like shady or being like, well, this is, this is the way that I'm going to convince them. It's about being strategic in our relationships and understanding like, hey, somebody might want just like bold-faced truth spoken right to their face. Some people might want examples. Some people might want to see lived experience. Some people might might want to hear inspiration. And that's okay because Jesus covers all those bases. So we have to be people who are willing to adapt our methodology just to always stay true to the message of Christ. The story goes on to say in uh, chapter 16, verses 19 through 25. When her owners realized that her ho- their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs that are unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. The next point is this, persistent worship despite present suffering. It can be really hard for us to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples, or even in the shoes of people who live in other parts of the world who who face persecution on a daily basis because of their faith. Their faith is a threat to their life. Paul and Silas's faith was a threat to their life. It led to a severe flogging and being put in prison. Now, I don't think that makes us less than here in the in the United States. I think oftentimes people will be like, oh, like your faith is less than because you live in, in a country that allows you to have faith in Jesus. I don't think it makes us less than, but I think it does offer us the opportunity to, to shift our perspective, that we would be people who constantly have a perspective, the understanding that our story here in our faith journey with Jesus is a lot different than other people's. You see, I think too often... I and a lot of us, we lose our faith when we, we one or two things go wrong, like when one or two things don't go our way. We see Paul and Silas, they worship and prayed after being beaten and put in prison. And there are people all over the world who continue to worship despite the threat of their lives. And I think it's a good question to ask ourselves, would I? If my life was in danger because of my faith, would I still worship? Do I have enough conviction and enough faith to say, yep, no matter what, Jesus is everything. And it doesn't matter uh, at threat to my own physical well-being. Uh, I am going to worship Jesus. That is going to be at the forefront of my mind always. Maybe that question can serve as a faith check to ask ourselves, where where am I at? Where, where are we at? And that's not intended to bring guilt, but maybe a little bit of conviction that we wouldn't be people who have shallow faith, but we would have really, really deep faith in Jesus. The next point is this, is that people are listening. 
Yes, people were listening to Paul and Silas because they were actually singing and praying out loud. But but believe me, people were listening to their lives before they were in prison. Do we now understand that people are listening to our lives? Do we understand that people are listening to our lives? The words we speak, the actions we take, what we prioritize, and so on and so forth. People are listening. So what are we saying? What are we communicating? When we are speaking into people's lives or as we are acting in in our community, do people hear grace? Do people hear mercy? Do people hear love? Do people hear acceptance? Or do people hear anger? Or do they hear judgment? Do they hear fear or fear-mongering? Or do they hear or feel callousness? We have to be people who are aware of what we are communicating. We we all probably use Spotify or <clears throat> Apple Music or something. And um, and maybe you don't do this, but but I definitely do this is I have playlists that I go to in certain circumstances. Like like there's a summer vibe playlist that I just like can't wait. Like the weather in Montana right now is getting so much nicer and I'm ready to roll down my windows and listen to that summer vibes playlist. And then when I'm angry or, or I want to like harken back to the good old days, I was born in the late 80s and lived through the 90s and early 2000s. And so like Blink-182, Angels and Airwaves, like good like punk rock, like that kind of stuff. Oh, it brings me back. And so I have a playlist that, that takes me there. And like you probably do too. You probably have playlists that you use in circum- certain circumstances. If you look at Spotify um, or, or Apple Music or whatever, like there's a playlist for, you know, like it says Coffee House or there's a playlist that, that says like, oh, Fall Feels. Like there, there are things that we listen to that communicates certain messages and that, that put us in certain moods and, and things that when we are in a mood, we seek out. So the question that I would ask you is like, what kind of playlist is your life putting together? Like when people are in a certain mood, what, or what mood do they have to be in to seek you out? Or if people like stumble upon your playlist, what, what is the message that they're receiving? What is the feel that they're getting? Are you summer vibes? Or are you like angry emo kid? Are you angry emo guy? Like that's that's one of the questions that I think we have to ask ourselves is like, what is the playlist of my life? But what am I building? When people go to that playlist and they play like my greatest hits or they play like the unknowns, whatever it may be, the small moments, what is the message that is being communicated to them? The second that you make a public declaration of Jesus, people are going to listen even more. That when you say like, hey, I follow Jesus, I am unashamedly, unquestionably, following Jesus, people turn the volume up. They say, okay, I want to hear the message that you have to say. I want to either prove you wrong or I want to see some conviction in you. So what is the playlist that you are putting together? Acts chapter 16, verse 26 goes on to say this. It says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all of the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So Paul and Silas are worshiping and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners are listening to them. And then all of a sudden there's a violent earthquake that shakes the foundations and everyone's chains came loose. You see, their worship and prayer didn't just lead to their deliverance. Everyone's shackles came undone. The next point is personal perseverance will lead to public impact. Personal perseverance will lead to public impact. Now, I'm not saying that you can live out someone's faith for them, but what I am saying is that our faith will undoubtedly influence the faith of others. 
You see, we don't have a clear picture on who the other prisoners were or where they were at in their faith journey. But what we see is that Paul and Silas's faith leads to an opportunity. If you were sitting in that prison, listening to Paul and Silas, worshiping and praying to God, and all of a sudden there's an earthquake and your shackles are unlocked, I bet you'd probably have some questions, right? As we live out our faith, people are going to have questions. As God shows up in our life, as we continue to have faith, as we continue to move towards Jesus, people are going to have questions, which means that we will get opportunities to share our beliefs, to share our faith, and let people know how much they are loved by the creator of the universe, to let people know how much they are valued. It's so important that we take those opportunities and we don't miss those things. Too often culture likes to drag people down when we serve a God who wants to lift people up. We need to be people who are constantly communicate, communicating the, the grace and the mercy and the acceptance of Jesus. What we have to realize is that while our story is our own, it's a part of a larger narrative. There are countless people whose lives impacted people that they never thought possible. I'm sure Paul and Silas were, were, were trying to, to impact the people that were immediately around them. Obviously, in the areas that they were preaching and in the, in the, where they were bringing the gospel, all those different things here in the prison. But... They impacted people for thousands of years. They're impacting people today. Their story is impacting you and I right now. Then you look at people like Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, and I'm sure they set out to impact a select group of people, but they ended up impacting more people than they ever thought possible. And I'm not saying that we're going to be those people. I'm not saying that, that, that our goal should be Mother Teresa or to be Billy Graham or to be whoever. But what I'm saying is that maybe we will be. <laughs> like maybe us in, in our single pursuit of being faithful to what God is asking us to be will result in other people watching and being like, wow, that that's impacting me in a way that I never thought possible in a way that we never thought possible. Our goal isn't to be famous. Our goal isn't to be like a giant of spiritual faith. Our goal is to be honest. Our goal is to be convicted. Our goal is to be centered on Jesus and who he's called us to be. And whatever happens from there, great. But we are called to be committed to the message of Jesus and committed to who he is asking us to be. And we let everything else fall into place. I think there's another challenge for us today as we read this passage. And the question would be, is our prayer and worship only focused on us and Jesus? Is our prayer and worship only focused on us and Jesus? I would dare to assume that as the disciples are worshiping and praying, they aren't just doing it for their own sake. That the answer that God provides is in response to the prayers that were prayed. I think Paul and Silas were praying for deliverance. I think Paul and Silas were worshiping God despite their circumstance. I think Paul and Silas were praying for, for deliverance from the, for the other people in the prison. I think they were probably praying for their church and for the people that were probably nervous about the fact that their pastors were in prison. They were probably praying for all kinds of different things, and God responds to specific prayers. He's a big God. We don't have to, to pray small, insignificant prayers. We can pray big, specific things and say, God, just watch I just want to watch you move. I want to watch you do the things that I am praying for. Maybe you've heard this question before, but I'm going to pose this question again. If all your prayers were answered this week, would you be the only one that felt the impact? Let me say it again. If all of your prayers were answered this week, every single one of them were answered this week, would you be the only one that felt the impact? That's a massive heart check. Right? In our relationship with the creator of the universe, are we only concerned with ourselves? Our, our maybe our families. Like 
what 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 are we praying for? Who are we praying for beyond that? Would we be the only people that are impacted if every prayer was answered? I, I want my answer to be no. I want my answer to be like, no, like people are being fed across the world. People are finding freedom across the world. People are finding freedom down my street. People are find, finding grace and mercy and relationship and all these different things. Like those are the type of prayers that I want to pray and pray. And while obviously I'm going to, to pray for my own life and, and ask for direction and I'm going to ask to be better in certain areas and to be a great husband and, and a good dad and a friend and all those different things. I also want to petition for other people. If we consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, we have to be advocates for others. That's our job is to advocate, not just for ourselves, but for the other people in our lives. When I was in college, I had an interaction. I was going through a ton of stuff and I ran into a guy that I really respected a lot. And it, it, at the time, it didn't feel like like this massive thing. But like over the years, I just like it just has kind of compound interest in the fact of, of how impactful it was. And, and he asked a question that, that I've been asked a million times in my life. How can I be praying for you? And I needed a lot of prayer. I need a lot of things uh, handled in my life. And I said, oh, no, man, like, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much. But like I'm, I'm set. And as we like walked away from that conversation, he grabbed my arm and he said, hey, man, like, I just want to let you know, I'm going to be praying for you anyway. I am going to be praying for you anyway. It was massive to understand that there was somebody on my side. There is incredible power in knowing that people are on our side. There's even more power in knowing that people are stepping into the presence of Jesus on our behalf. So let's be people who step into the presence of Jesus on others' behalves. And also, let's allow others to do the same thing. Let's ask others to do the same thing. Seek out prayer. Seek out people who can be prayer warriors in your life, who can lift you up, who can be advocates for you as you are advocates for other people. The last passage that we're going to look at, verses 27 through 34, it says, The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The last point is expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. This story would be amazing if God just made a way for Paul and Silas to escape prison. This story would be even more amazing if he made a way for Paul and Silas and the other prisoners to escape from, from prison. But he goes another step further and Paul has this interaction. Paul and Silas have this interaction with this jailer. They, they prevent him from harming himself. They get to lead his entire family to the Lord. They get to baptize them. They get their wounds practically washed and, and bandaged. And then they get to eat a meal with this family. They get to be in community. You see, here's the thing. God does more. God does more. My prayer is that we would never be satisfied with our human expectations. I think a posture that I would love to have personally, and I'd love for us to have collectively would be this. Being people who are simultaneously thankful for what God has already done and expectant that he will do more. We serve a big God. There's not a capacity. There's not a ceiling to which he operates. So let's be people be like, God, you are amazing. Thank you so much for everything that you've done. Do more. Do more. Impact more people. Use me more. Send me, send me more places. Introduce more people to me. Do more. Do more. Do more. Do more. Do more. God can do more. He always does. This story 
is really interesting. And if you're like me, you love the outcome, but maybe the question, why did they have to go, go through all that? Why did they have to be flogged and why did they have to be thrown into prison? Why couldn't God orchestrate a, a divine way for them to interact with the jailer and his family or with the other prisoners or, or whatever it may be? Like, why, why did it have to be a beating? Why did it have to be prison? My humanity screams for ease, for, for the, the road more traveled, for the comfortable life. But as I ask that question, I'm hit by a quote from N.T. Wright. He says this, God's messengers are not protected from the sufferings that will come when their message challenges the easy, smug rule of political, economic, or religious forces. But God is not mocked. Vindication will come. We would much prefer it if we could have the result without the process, the crown without the cross. But that is never the way in the kingdom of God. Oh, man. Talk about conviction. Do I want the result without the process? Absolutely. Do I want the crown without the cross? Yeah, all the time. But we need to be people who lean into the process. If we want to see the result, we're going to have to go through the process. If we want to see the crown, we're going to have to carry our cross. So my prayer is that individually and collectively, we would be people whose faith leads us to the process, whose faith leads us to carry our cross, and that in the end, we will see results, eternal results. Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.